But just understand, the glory of God has got your back. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I know all of us uh, can use a little encouragement today. I'm Pastor Jeffrey A. Johnson, Sr. I'm the senior pastor of the Eastern Star Church. All I'm trying to do is to give you some encouragement out of the Word of God to help you to endure whatever you may be facing in your life. Uh, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it talks about uh, that God is going to send his messenger. And, and in verse 2, he says that when he comes, though, who's going to be able to endure this? And he says he's going to come like refiner's fire and like fuller soap. I wanted to read Malachi 3 and 3 to you. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. Just like in the days of Malachi, in their crisis, we've been praying and asking the Lord to show up. And Malachi said the Lord is going to show up. But when he shows up, he's coming with laundry soap and with refiner's fire and refined like silver and refined like gold. When precious metal is discovered like silver and gold, sometimes it has dross on it and waste on it and impurities in it. And so the refiner takes the gold and he sticks it in the refiner's fire and the fire is so hot that it burns off the dross, it burns off the waste, it burns out the impurities, and then, but it doesn't mess with, with the gold, it refines the gold, it doesn't destroy it, it helps develop it. And when that gold comes out, it comes out as pure gold. We've been praying for the Lord to show up. He says, I am gonna show up, but I'm coming with refiner's fire because some of us have some dross on us and some waste on us and some impurities in us. And God says, I'm going to stick you in the fire. And that fire burns off the, the impurities and, and, and off the dirt, but it doesn't hurt us. We come out as pure gold. Uh, in, in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, after being so faithful with God, they were thrown in the fiery furnace. And when they were thrown in the fiery furnace, their, their wrists were bound and their feet were bound. But when they got in the fire, the Lord showed up and what was burned off was what had them bound on their hands, what had them bound on their feet. And when they came out, they came out free. And with that walk with the Lord who had shown up. When you and I are in hot predicaments and heated situations, God is not trying to destroy us. He's seeking to develop us. He's coming with refiner's fire. And he wants to make sure that when we come out, we come out as pure gold. Let us pray. Father, we bless you and praise you. Thank you for all of your wisdom and knowledge on knowing how to address our impurities in our lives. Thank you for the hot predicaments. Thank you for the heated uh, situations that we go through. We don't like the fire, but we do like what happens when we come out. And Lord, I pray that we come out as pure gold. In Jesus' name, amen. Here today, by the time my mother was 22 years old, she had four children. My oldest brother, then Tony and Tony in the middle, twins, then I'm the youngest of the four. So by the time she was 22, she had four 
children and a bad marriage. So by the time she was 30, she was a single mother raising four children by herself. When my mom and dad got a divorce, when my father left, my father left. He, he never came back, he never picked us up for anything, he never nurtured us, he never spent time with us. And so she raised four of us by herself. And she wrote the introduction to, um, well, she wrote the forward to my book, Dialogue with Single Parents, where she talks about how she went back to nursing school with four children and got her nursing degree and became an RN and was a surgical nurse for more than 40 years until she retired. Um, and she, she got us all in Christ, kept us all in church, got me through college, and did that as a single parent. And, um, and then I gave my life to Jesus Christ as a teenager. I got called to preach when I was 17. And it's, it's, what, what has happened is really re remarkable. I pastor one of the greatest churches in the world. And, and in this ministry, thousands of people have given their life to Christ and thousands have recommitted their life to Christ. And pastors have come out of here and Christian leaders and full-time uh, people working for ministry and just so many wonderful things have happened. And uh, every now and then, because my mom is a member of our church, and people would ask her as, as she was raising me, did she see any of this happening? Did, did she have any idea that I would be in ministry, that I would travel the world preaching and teaching and do the things that, that I'm doing? And my mom honestly would tell them, no, she had no idea. She told them, if she had any idea I would be doing some of these things, that she would have given me a biblical name. She would have named me something like Joshua, God's salvation, or Jonah who preached, and a whole community repented and gave their life to the Lord, or Jeremiah the weeping prophet, but she didn't know, so she gave me the name Jeffrey. I'm named after a soap opera character. <laughs> Not the actor's name. The character in the soap opera is who I'm named after. And my mother said the reason for that is she says she never saw it coming. I want to take my mother's testimony and use that for the title for today's message. I never saw it coming. And I want you to open your Bibles to the, to the Gospel of John. John chapter 9 is where we're going. In John chapter 9, it opens with a man who was born blind, has this encounter with Jesus. Jesus gives him sight. And then the religious police get in on it by verse 25. And they're asking him all kind of questions about what transpired, how did it happen, tell us about the one that did it. In, in John 9 and 25, listen to what the man's response is. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Look at somebody and tell them, I never saw it coming. Jesus and his disciples in verse 1 comes across this man that was born blind. I mean, he never saw the light of day. He never saw a sunrise or a sunset. Never saw a tree, a rock. Never saw a mountain, a valley, a river, an ocean. He never saw his mother fight. He was born blind. And now he's begging on the side of the road. And when the disciples saw this, it was so 
jacked up until they looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, who did sin that this man is in a situation as bad as he, as he is? Did this man sin or did his parents sin that he's blind and begging by the side of the road? And, and Jesus was trying to explain to them that neither did this man sin nor his parents sin, but that the works of God might be manifest, that the glory of God might be manifest in what's happening in this man's life. Here's what the disciples, their theology, their understanding of God was this, that if you sin, you suffer, and if you suffer, you suffer because of sin. And they are half right. If you sin, you will suffer. The wages of sin is death. If you sin, there's going to be a consequence. You're going to suffer. But y'all, everybody who is suffering is not suffering because of sin. This man is born blind. The disciples thinking, if he's suffering like this, it's got to be sin. Did he sin? Well, if he had sinned, it would have had to be prenatal perversion. He would have had to sin before he got here. And then if it's his parents that sin, why is he the one blind? His parents would have been blind. Jesus says, no, this, that's not what this is all about. It's that the glory of God might be manifest. And it doesn't mean that God made him blind so that God could get glory out of it. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is, since he is blind, God is going to get some glory out of it. It's not saying that God made this boy blind, this young man blind. That's not what it, y'all, there are children who are born with, with, with birth defects. Children who are born that can't see or can't walk or with some kind of disorder or disease, bad things happen. It's not always because of sin. Y'all, when Adam disobeyed God in Genesis 3, not only did sin enter the world, but suffering entered the world. You can mind your own business and still suffer. Y'all, there are going to be earthquakes. There are going to be storms. There are going to be tornadoes. People are going to be born with disorders. People are going to have sickness. There are things that are going to happen. Planes are going to crash. Helicopters are going to fall. And it doesn't mean that it's because of sin. But Jesus says, since it has happened, that the works of God are going to be manifest. God is getting ready to get glory out of this. What, however difficult the situation you're in, however messed up it may be, you need to understand something. That the God we serve works all things together for good to them that love God and them who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean that you sin. It means that God's going to take the suffering you're going through and turn it to work it out for your good. Do y'all believe that today? So as Jesus was explaining this to them, he gets to verse 6. And in John chapter 9, verse 6, Jesus says, when he had said these things, he sped on the ground and made clay with the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. He said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sin. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus took some mud, put it on this man's eyes who was blind, told him to go wash in this body of water. The man did it, and the next thing you know, this man has his sight. Here are the lessons I believe the Lord is trying to show us in this. He's trying to show us that the Messiah can take a mess and use it to perform a miracle. He took a mess. He took mud, 
put it on this man's eyes, told him to go wash, and out of this mess, a miracle came, and the man never saw it coming. You know, there, are, there are those who are considered um, dirt artists. They, are, they consider themselves dirt artists. They're able to take dirt and, and turn it into artwork. Some dude took dirt off the back of a vehicle and spent some time with that dirt and had a copy of the Mona Lisa. He took mess and had a reflection of a masterpiece out of a mess. And it dawned on me, if men and women can take dirt and make art out of it, take mess and make a masterpiece out of it, surely the God we serve is able to take the mess you're in and the mess I am, I'm in and perform miracles out of it. Y'all, we, we're so busy that when we get, when, when, when folk do dirty things to us and we find ourselves in dirty situation, that's dirty how they treated you on that job and that's dirty how they treated you in that relationship, now we're mad at God. No, that's material for a miracle, the mess that you find yourself in. God has a history of taking dirt and using it for development and deliverance. Okay, y'all didn't say amen. In, in Genesis chapter 2, God took some, stooped down, scooped up some dirt, shaped it and formed it after his image, and then breathed into it the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That's the God that took dirt and used it for development of humanity. And the same God that did that in Genesis can develop you in the dirt you're going through right now. Not only did he take dirt and use it for development, but he took dirt and used it for deliverance. This is John chapter 9. In John chapter 8, there was a woman who was caught in adultery. And I'm always intrigued by that. If she's caught in adultery, why is she the only one being charged? Why is she the only one that y'all, I mean, if you caught in adultery, at least you got to have two people for that. And they bring this woman, and now they're ready to stone her because the, the law of Moses said you got to stone her. So Jesus, in his grace and mercy, tells the crowd that's ready to stone this woman that she did sin, she did mess up. And so Jesus says, all right, all of y'all who have not committed this sin, cast first stone. It's not just those who had not sinned. The implication is those who have not committed this sin. And when Jesus said that, people started walking away, right? I want to show you what Jesus was doing when they were walking away. Those who were without sin cast the first stone. The Bible says in John 8, Jesus stooped down, started writing in the dirt. And when he was writing in the dirt, it was giving them time to leave so that she can experience deliverance. Because he's got a history of taking dirt to help us to get delivered. And I don't know what he wrote in the dirt. I don't know what it was. And I know that there are some preachers and pastors trying to act like they're so holy, they know what Jesus. We don't know what he wrote. But we do know that he wrote. We don't know what he wrote in the dirt. But we do know he took his word and put it in dirty. Oh, I'm so glad that the God I serve has a history of working with dirt. And he took his word and put it in dirty. Remember when he first gave us his word, he put it in stone on Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments was in stone. Now when the wind blows on stone, ain't no change. But this time he says, I'm going to put my word in dirt 
So when the wind blows, you'll have a clean slate. And I know I got some witnesses in here that have done some dirty stuff, but Jesus brought some deliverance and allowed the Holy Ghost to blow on it to give us a clean slate to start over again. He takes this mess and uses it to perform a miracle. And in your life and in mine, I don't care how messy it gets, I don't care how dirty it gets, that the Lord I serve is able to develop us out of that and he's able to deliver us out of that. And then Jesus takes that mud, that mess, and he puts it on the man's eyes. And that's kind of messing with me because the man is blind. Jesus gives the implication that he's going to heal the man and give him his sight. But then he puts mud in his eyes. But what I see happening is it got worse before it got better. That he, Jesus is working on something. I am going to heal you. I am going to deliver you. I'm going to bring you out of this blindness. But I'm, I, if I'm, I'm going to allow for it to get worse before it gets better. See, some of us missed out on our miracle, missed out on our deliverance, because after you prayed and you trusted and you believed God and the Holy Spirit spoke to you and said God was going to do it, then it got worse. And when it got worse, you walked away mad at God, not knowing that every now and then God allows for it to get worse before it gets better. Y'all ain't saying amen to that. Jay Iris had a 12-year-old daughter that was sick at home. And when he had this 12-year-old daughter, he went and found Jesus and said, Jesus, I want you to come and heal my daughter. And Jesus said, all right, I'll go heal him. On the way to the house, somebody came from the house and said, you can leave the master alone because your daughter is no longer sick. She's dead. It got worse on the way to getting the deliverance. Had that been us, we would have stopped walking. But when J. Iris got the news, after talking to Jesus, after getting a promise from Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it better. He gets news that it got worse, but he kept walking with Jesus. It got worse, but he kept trusting Jesus. He was crying, but he kept trusting Jesus. It was difficult, but he kept walking with Jesus. And when he got to the house, Jesus raised that little girl from the dead. And I know I got some witnesses that your stuff turned worse before it got better. But when Jesus showed up, he did the very thing he said he was going to do. Now watch this. Watch this. Jesus takes the mud, puts it on the man's eyes. He had to touch him to do that. He didn't throw the mud in the man's eyes. It says he, he anointed him. He, he, he had to touch him. And in that touch that came from Jesus, it transformed his trouble into triumph. Just a touch from Jesus changed the situation he was in. Oh, I don't know why y'all ain't saying amen to this. Y'all, but in order for Jesus to touch him, he had to get close to him. And if he was not close to Jesus, Jesus couldn't touch him. But because Jesus touched him, that's where his deliverance came from. Some of us are not delivered because we're too distant from Jesus. But I dare you to get close enough to get touched by the Lord because that touch of Jesus can turn your situation around. And there was a, there was a man that was deaf. And Jesus stuck his fingers in the man's ears. And the man started hearing. Jesus touched him. There was a man that was mute. He couldn't talk. 
Jesus touched his tongue and the man started talking because there's power in his touch. I told y'all about J. Iris' daughter who was sick. When Jesus went in the house, she, had, she was dead. And Jesus spoke a word to her, but then Jesus grabbed her by her hand. And when he touched her, she came back from the dead. There was a widow in Nain. Her son was already in the casket on the way to the cemetery. Jesus walked up and touched the coffin. And the young man woke up and came out of that dead situation because he'd been touched by Jesus. And I know I got about eight or nine of y'all that can testify your stuff was jacked up and messed up and turned for worse, but then you got a touch from Jesus. Come on, somebody. Well, y'all won't say amen. I'll testify myself. He touched me. And all oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me, and he made me whole. Man, they got all, in the NBA, they got all these metrics now from where they shooting three-pointers from and how many threes and from the side. They got all these metrics and all this data. Uh, when somebody's on the court, uh, are they doing better or worse? And they got all kind of, somebody counted how many times NBA players touch each other on a team. And they've come to this conclusion that the teams, those players that touch each other the most are the ones that get the most victories. High fives, pound, smack on the back, hug. The ones that touch each other the most, those are the teams that get the most victory. And those who touch each other the least are the ones that have the most defeats. And it just dawned on me that if these NBA players can touch each other and get triumph, how much more? shall a touch from Jesus help us to get the victories we need in our life. Okay, y'all ain't saying amen. I know, I know what it is because we, we spend so much time with technology and social media and all of that. Now we, somebody asked me 20 years ago when, when, when all this social media and Facebook and all this stuff came out, asked, what did I think about it? I said, well, we don't have enough data to go on. I can't tell you what I think. It just came out. We need more time to find out. Now we're finding out that those who spend more time on social media are the ones who are the loneliest, most depressed, suicidal, because ain't nobody touching them, and they ain't touching nobody. That's why the enemy wants to keep you from coming to church, because I'm going to tell y'all, shake somebody's hand, greet somebody, hug somebody, kiss somebody, touch somebody, because there's power in a touch, and that's just from you and I sitting up here with 500 fake friends. No wonder you lonely and depressed. And then trying to tell me I don't have to go to church. I can't wait to get to church. I want to hug somebody. I want somebody to touch me. Do I have a witness in here? And I'm so glad that the Lord Jesus has power in his touch. And when I, when I first went to Haiti, I think it was 2010 when the earthquake hit. And, um, and so I went one month after the earthquake, and dead bodies were still in businesses and in homes. It was really, really messed up. And, um, and one of the places that we went to is one, actually one of our partners now, Mission of Hope. And Mission of Hope, they own all this land that is enclosed with fence and security and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and Mission of Hope, matter of fact, that's where we built that warehouse, that 35 um, thousand foot warehouse that we square foot warehouse that we have out there with all those beans and rice and clothes and shoes we built it on mission of hope's property they provided the land 
we provided the money and the resource with Convoy of Hope to build the warehouse to put all those resources in there. And they got a school there, they got housing there, but they also have a clinic there. So they took us back, boy, that, I, I cried like a little baby that day. It just, it hurt my heart to see all that sickness and people lost limbs with the earthquake and all. And then there were babies in there. Some of them were premature and they were sick. And, and, and the clinic was really just a little small building that they had with doctors and nurses. But with those infant babies, they had no neonatal care. When my, when my son, my youngest son was born two months premature, and he was in an incubator for, for a whole month after he was born. And uh, with all that neonatal care and all that stuff that they provide, technology and medicine, they didn't have all that in Haiti. What they did was they just picked the baby up and had the baby skin to skin with some mother or some woman. And that skin to skin, that, that touching the baby and holding the baby would bring healing. And it's called kangaroo care for those that... In third world countries where they don't have the advancements that we have like in, in, in developed countries, they, they call it kangaroo care. Because when a kangaroo mother gives birth to a kangaroo, she takes the baby that's no longer in the womb but still in a pouch and can still hear the mother's heartbeat and can still feel the tightness and, and the love and the touch of the mother. And so that's what's happening in third world countries. Now they start doing that even in developed countries, including the United States, the importance of touching these babies to bring healing. And, okay, y'all not getting it. Uh, oh, this was in 2013 in Australia. Husband and wife, she's pregnant with twins. They go to the hospital, and the babies are born premature. I think it was like week 27, so it was very premature. And the babies were twins, two pounds apiece. And Emily, the little girl, came out, and she was going to be all right. She had a lot of developing to do but she was going to be all right but the little boy Jamie when he came out his heart wasn't beating and so the doctor worked on him for 20 minutes and couldn't get that baby to breathe and he took little Jamie over to the mother and father and said I, I hate to tell y'all this but Jamie didn't make it Jamie is dead and I'm going to give you a chance to say goodbye and handed that baby to that Australian mother and she took that baby and unwrapped him out of that blanket and then laid that baby on her skin. And she began to talk to Jamie. We love you. You got a sister named Emily. We, we really care about you. This is what we had planned. And she began to talk. And then the baby started to move. So she said to the nurse, go tell the doctor that the baby's moving. Come back in and take care of my son. Doctor wouldn't even come back in. The doctor said that that's just reflex. That's... That, that's, that baby's not alive. That's the electrical impulses on anybody that would, would happen like that. So the doctor wouldn't go back in. And she's still loving on the baby, skin to skin, kangaroo care. The baby's dead. Then the baby opened his eyes. She told the nurse, go tell the doctor. The baby opened his eyes. The doctor said, that's involuntary reflex. I'm not going back in. She got to accept the fact the baby's dead. Then the mother took some breast milk and put it on her baby finger and stuck it in Jamie's mouth, and Jamie started sucking on the breast. This is two hours that has passed. She finally said to the nurse, go tell the doctor that I finally accepted the fact that Jamie is dead, and now I need to give the baby back to him dead. So the doctor comes in, sees the baby moving, eyes open, trying to suck breast milk. 
The baby is alive. The mother and father said it's a miracle from God, but I'm just trying to show you the power of a touch. And if a mother can touch a baby and do, how much more shall Jesus touch you and I and bring us out of what we're dealing with? Took that mud, that mess, and, and performed a miracle. Touched him, transformed that trouble into triumph. Let me give you one more. And then Jesus spoke to the man and said, now, got all this mud on his face, right? Now go wash in the pool of Siloam and you'll be able to see. Because, y'all, this is our Savior who is speaking to suffering to bring salvation. But the man had enough sense to hear what Jesus was speaking because if he didn't trust what Jesus was saying, he wouldn't have been able to obey and go to the body of water and wash and come out seeing. But he was able to put confidence in what Christ was saying, that he told me to go wash, so I went and washed. And when I did that, I went from being blind to now I'm able to see. But it's because he was listening to the words that came from the mouth of Jesus. I honestly believe that some of us could have been delivered a long time ago. Some of us could have come out of these burdens and troubles and poverty and sickness and disease and this jacked up life we live in a long time ago, but you didn't trust what Jesus said. There's power in the word of Jesus. And this man, watch this, he followed what Jesus said without being able to see Jesus. Even though I couldn't see it, I still trusted him. Matter of fact, what he's telling me makes no sense. How can mud on my face Washing in a body of water bring me sight. This ain't the first time this man washed his face. This makes no sense at all. But what you got to understand, it's the first time he washed his face because Jesus said it. Y'all, sometimes the Lord tells you and I to do stuff that makes no sense. But he's trying to see, do you have enough faith and confidence and trust to do what I tell you to do even when you can't see how it's going to turn out. Y'all not getting this. He's speaking it. It's his word and having enough confidence and trust to know that if the Lord said it, it can happen, it will happen, it shall happen. There's power in the word of Jesus. Told the man to go wash. Didn't make no sense. Yeah, that's the thing. And I'm not telling y'all to live a senseless life. So don't y'all misquote me and mistweet me either. Don't, don't run out of here doing senseless stuff. Tell my pastor, to, no, I said Jesus told him to do something. In this case, that made no sense. Here's what I'm trying to get across to us. We ought to live off reason. God blessed us with intellect. He blessed us with a mind. He blessed us with a brain. We ought to operate off reason. But here's what I want you to get. When reason runs out, faith keeps going. Reason can get you to the edge of the cliff. It's faith that'll get you over. And I know I got some witnesses in here when it looked like you were not going to make it, looked like it was not going to take place, looked like you will always be down. Then Jesus spoke a word in your situation and brought salvation and turned it around. And some of y'all not saying amen because you're not open to the word. Wondering why things won't happen. Because you are violating the word of God. Who was it? Uh, Deshaun Watson. He's an NFL quarterback. I, I believe he was drafted in 2017 to the Houston Texans. And Deshaun Watson, they say he's one, one of the best athletes in the NFL.
went to Clemson, won the national championship, and then he gets drafted, and he's playing with the Texans. It's Bill O'Brien, I believe, was, the, was the, the coach at the time. Tom Savage was the quarterback. They just got rid of Brock Osweiler. So they were asking the coach, even before OTA, even before training camp, is Deshaun Watson going to be the starter for the Houston Texans, or are you going to start Tom Savage? He said, is he going to start? Yes, you, you drafted him in the first round, 12th pick in the draft, third quarterback taken. Surely you got plans for him. Is he going to start for the Texans at the beginning of the season? Here's what the coach said. I don't know if he's going to start or not because you don't just come out of college, get on the team, and start. We got to see if he can learn the playbook. If he can't learn the playbook, he can't start. He can't be a captain if you don't know the playbook. He got to learn his place in the huddle. He don't even know where to stand in our huddle yet. He doesn't even know the terminology of how to speak what he sees in the playbook in the huddle for the team to do the thing. So here's what he's telling him. If he's going to start, he got to know the playbook, know his place in the huddle, and know the terminology that they use. And the reason why some of us have not gone to another level with God is because you don't know the playbook. You don't show up for the huddle, and you don't know the terminology that comes out of the playbook. But how many of you know when you learn the Word of God and get in that Word and hear what Jesus is speaking and come to church every now and then and get in the huddle and learn the terminology, God will take you from faith to faith. Okay, y'all don't know the terminology. No weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper. Y'all don't know the terminology. And we know all things work together for good to them that love God. Y'all don't know the terminology. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God. Y'all don't know the terminology. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Do I have a witness in here? Okay, here it is. Jesus takes a mess uses it to make a miracle. He, he takes a touch, transforms it into triumph. Then Jesus speaks to the suffering to bring salvation in that situation. And the man was blind, but now he can see. And he never saw it coming. The community began to ask him, the community asked him, uh, how did this take place? How did you, matter of fact, they didn't even recognize it was him. Y'all go back and read the playbook when you get home. They didn't even recognize this was the blind man sitting there begging. He went and washed, came back, he was saying, they said, that's not him. I said, yeah, that is him. That was the man that's not. No, it's not. How could they not recognize this man? The only difference is he can see. He's the same height. Same skin color, same color eyes, same clothes, same shoes, same community, same haircut, and they didn't know who he was. Here's why. The difference is vision. When you have no vision, community looks at you one way. When you got vision, they look at you another way. And I don't need y'all to say amen. I know they'll do that. When you got vision, folks see you differently. All right, let me read it to you. Let me read it to you. John chapter 9, verse 10. Verse 10. Therefore they said to him, 
how were your eyes open? He answered and said, a man called Jesus. He said, I never saw it coming, but the reason it happened, Jesus did it. Oh, okay. There, there's something called degenerative eye disease. In degenerative eye disease, this disorder in the eyes, a person gradually and slowly begin to lose their eyesight until after a while they're completely blind. Degenerative eye disease. But now through the advancement of technology and research and scientists and doctors and medicine, they have, they've created an artificial retina for those with degenerative eye disease. An artificial retina. It's the size of a pinhead, P-I-N, size of a pinhead. It has 1,500 solar cells the size of a pinhead. I had it blown up so y'all could see it. And they take it and put it in a person's eye, artificial retina. And when, when it gets in their eye with those 1,500 solar cells, when the person is in right relation with the sun, the sun powers the solar cells that sends a message from the brain to the eye to tell it to do what it hadn't been able to do see. But the reason it can see is because it's in proper relation with the sun and gets the power to do what it hadn't been able to do. And y'all, if a man and a woman can create something to put in somebody that was blind and cause them to see, how much more shall God take his Holy Spirit, put it in somebody who did not believe, blind to the things of God, no vision in their life. But when you got the Holy Spirit in you and you're in right relation with the Son of God, now you can do what you haven't been able to do. Do I have a witness in here? Y'all, the blindness represents the blindness represents disbelief. Other places in Scripture, blindness represents a hard heart or it represents a lack of perception or a lack of understanding. This time it represents disbelief. After that man got his sight, uh, he came across Jesus again. Jesus said, do you believe in the Messiah? He said, I don't know him to believe in. Who is he? The one that gave you your sight. Then he said, now nah, I believe. He was blind, disbelief. Now he can see he believes. The text closes by saying, Jesus told the religious police, the Pharisees, he said, I know y'all blind because y'all can't see who I am. You don't believe that I'm the Christ, the son of the living God. And we got some folk in here right now and some people who are streaming and listening to me that I know you blind because you can't see that Jesus is the Son of God. You can't see he's the Christ. You can't see that he's the Messiah. You can't see that he's the Savior. John said, the Apostle John said in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, he said, listen, many other signs did Jesus do in front of his disciples that we didn't put in the book. But we put these in the book so that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ. And in believing, you can have life in his name. So John, with all these signs, he said, which ones should I put in here? And this is one of the signs he decided to put in. A man that was born blind. Jesus gave him his sight. The man never saw it coming to let you and I know that Jesus must be the Son of God. How can he do something like this in a man's life? 
if he were not the son. It's somebody, it's time for you to start seeing Jesus for who he is. And I'm going to close with the same testimony that this man closed with. His community came and said, what happened? How can you see? How did this take place? He said, all I can tell you, a man named Jesus. And when I look back over my life and see how far I come to where I am now, all I can tell you, it was a man named Jesus. I know some of y'all say you're a self-made man, you're a self-made woman. I ain't got that testimony. It is he that have made me and not me myself. Jesus did it. Can I get a witness in here? How did I go from poverty to prosperity? How did I go from sin to salvation? How did I go from blindness to vision? How did I go from being down to being up? I got to tell y'all how it happened. Jesus did it. How did you get cured of cancer? Jesus did it. How did you stay married 33 years? Jesus did it. How did you stay with your four sons? Jesus did it. How did your soul get saved? Jesus did it. And the news is I never saw it coming. Can I get a witness? Can I get somebody to testify today? To let folk know how you made it. Let them know how you got saved. Let them know how you got free. Let them know how you kept your mind. Look at somebody and tell them, Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Jesus opened the door. Jesus answered my prayer. Jesus healed my body. Jesus got me through college. Jesus got me out of poverty. Jesus helped me to stand. Is there anybody that can shout, Jesus did it? Hey! Hey! Y'all excuse me. I didn't mean to do all of this. But if it had not been for the Lord on my side, I would not have made it. But I made it. Hallelujah. 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 I said hallelujah. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Save the wretch like me. I once was lost. Now I'm found. Blind. But now I see. Somebody give him glory in here. There is no secret what God can do. What he's done for me, he can do the same thing for you. Faith is going to push out that fear, and you don't have to have fear because you have the Spirit of God. You've got the power to help you to make it through this crisis. Our God is still worthy to be praised, and I want to encourage you on today. I'm 
Pastor Jeffrey A. Johnson Sr. I'm the senior pastor of the Eastern Star Church in Indianapolis. And I know that we're going through a lot of things right now. And so I just want to bless you from the word of God. In, in the book of James, chapter one, verse two, it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Amen. You can count it pure joy. You can count it all joy, even though you're going through different types of trials and temptation. When my children, my children are all grown now and they're educated and and I praise God for that because their mom and I, we were big on education. Lady Sharon used to make sure we had all kind of pencils and rulers and folders and everything that you would need. We don't ever want to hear uh, I left something at school and I don't have the paper. So we had it all. We had like a store uh, in the cabinet at our house. So anytime they needed something, it was right there. And they used to love to go into that cabinet and grab out a new pencil. And I remember the day that Lady Sharon upgraded our children from that little bitty pencil sharpener that's so hard to do to an electric pencil sharpener. And they grab a new pencil and they go to the pencil sharpener, stick it in there and make all that noise and the grinding that would take place. Then they take it out blow on it, then look at it, stick it back in and grind some more. And they would do that, then go on and do their work. And while they were doing that, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and saying, that's how God does us. You may be a new Christian, you may be a new believer, but it doesn't mean you're very practical. It doesn't mean that you're actually doing and living the way God wants us to live. So the way God does us, he takes us like that pencil and sticks us in grinding situations. And that's what some of us are going through now with this crisis, with this, uh, these issues, with these challenges, with this storm. It's a grinding, it's grinding us. It doesn't mean that God has forsaken you. It doesn't mean God's trying to destroy you. My kids were not trying to destroy the pencil. They were seeking to develop it. And God puts us in grinding situations not to destroy us but seeks to develop us because that new pencil can't be used properly it can't be used for what it's designed for until it goes through that grinding situation that's what god is doing with us i already know your question well how long is god going to grind me how long is he going to keep putting me in there well let me tell you how long my children used to grind their pencils in that pencil sharpener they would grind it until the pencil got the point and so in all these trials and all these troubles and tribulations, you can count it all joy. It doesn't mean through these grinding times that God is trying to destroy you. He's trying to develop you and he's going to grind you until you get the point. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We bless you. We praise you. Thank you for your care for us, your design for us. And thank you that we can even have joy in the time of sorrow. Thank you for how you use the troubles we go through to mature us and to shape us and develop us. And now, Lord, I pray as we put these persons in your hands that you will grind them when necessary until they get the point of what you're trying to do in their life. In Jesus' name.